and I grew up across the street from a from a cemetery, a really huge, huge cemetery that I still visit every summer. Um, it's kind of this tradition now. So I go back to that neighborhood. I look at my house and my friend's house and then take a walk in the cemetery with my sister. So I started looking at the tombstones um, and using those as kind of like this generic form of a tombstone, but in some cases it'd be more specific to the way that they were um, aligned or the name that was on it or, you know, something like a design that was on it, something like that. So that became really important. And then I opened that up to visiting just like any cemetery that I ever drove by, I would stop and, and go in and take pictures, documentation for these paintings, but also for installations. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 197th episode, I'm excited to be joined by Jessica Bingham, who is an artist and curator living and working in the greater Peoria area. We talk all about her work, which explores memory and childhood and graveyards through a variety of different media, including installation, sculpture, and painting. And of course, we talk all about her solo exhibition that's up right now, at Heartbreaker as part of a 2017 Studio Break professional competition. Her work was selected by the curator there, Bill Conger. And, of course, we're going to talk all about her work there as well as her previous work coming up in this interview, so please stay tuned for that. If you are finding Studio Break for the very first time, I do want to encourage you to visit studiobreak.com and look at some of the other interviews that we've had, some of the other artists featured. Again, each of our posts have images of the artwork as well as links to the artist's website so you can find them on social media and check out more of their stuff. You can, of course, listen to the interviews right there in the default player or just hit that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast. Of course, if you want, you can follow us in a variety of social media formats, so please be sure and like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break, so please be sure to check us out there. And with that out of the way, here is our interview with Jessica Bingham. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Jessica Bingham. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, again, excellent to have you on. And we've been talking a little bit already about your exhibition that's up at Heartbreaker right now. Of course, we're going to break down that exhibition and, you know, all sorts of past work and sorts of stuff. So I always start out in the in the beginning, I guess, and especially since your, you know, work talks about, you know, childhood and memory. Um, I would imagine that's where we're going to be starting off. How did that uh, start about in terms of just your young art experience, I guess? Well, my parents were very encouraging um, from a young age. They they put me in a college, like a summer college drawing class when I was probably like five. Mm-hmm. And um, that made a huge impression on me. I just remember doing like a critique at that young age with all these adults and my mom was like standing outside and it was just, I wish I had that sketchbook somewhere, but they, they just encouraged me a lot to, to be an artist. I don't think it was even a question in their mind, whether like what I would grow up to be. I think that was just kind of assumed. So throughout my childhood, they'd get me like different art sets and that was always very helpful. And uh, they tried to make an effort to understand where I was coming from like why I would want to change my the color of my room all the time, why I would 
I was really interested in interior design as a child too. So they were, they would help me repaint things or they'd allow me to paint on the walls, like do stencils or I had a lot of freedom to be a creative child. It wasn't ever stifled or discouraged. Um, they did invest in me uh, in that way. Well, it's, it's interesting that you say that just because people can have such diverse backgrounds in terms of what that's like. I mean, some people freak out, you know, with the idea that, you know, we're going to let somebody alter the room or just like start, yeah. you know, building forts or, you know, doing, <laughs> doing stuff like that. Or, and so, I mean, was there anything that you were particularly drawn to in, in terms of, you know, like making, or was it just kind of like you had your hand in, in everything to, to kind of just see what it did and to, they just kind of supported you? I was more interested in drawing and painting. They did get me um, like a small wheel thrown, wheel throwing, like a plastic toy one mm -hmm. set up. And I, I hated it. I hate the feel of clay on my hands. <laughs> um, I actually hate getting my hands really dirty anyway. Um, so I sometimes even paint with like gloves on. I'm just super particular about that. Uh, I think that makes a lot of painters cringe because and, and ceramicists cringe because they're like, well, why? So that just, that always turned me off. I, I don't think I played with that very long. Mm -hmm. um, but they, I would always get paint sets, um, drawing sets. My mom would set up this craft time probably like five times a week. So we had this, this plastic uh, checkered like tablecloth that she would put out and it had little cows and chickens on it. Um, super 90s. We would just do craft hours, just like endless hours of doing that. And so I think that was really influential that they that they supported that and encouraged it. And yeah, we would always be changing the house. Like I have I have three younger sisters and we would always be setting up tents. Um and then the neighbor boys were hu a huge part of our life and actually that's why I make the work I do now is is because of this neighborhood that we grew up in and, and my sisters and also my my friends, uh one who had passed away in 2015 but like our childhood felt so magical all the time because both of our like my parents and their parents were always like just go outside do whatever you know do whatever you want to do we were always building forts we were always playing in the woods which really wasn't the woods when I go back and look at it now it's just like this strip of trees but it felt so <laughs> big and so we were always yeah we were always outside we were always creating things we were always making uh, different things my dad built us a, a this huge massive blue playhouse um in front of our blue house that when we sold the house he had to just cut up into different pieces it was too massive like no one wanted to buy our house because this blue playhouse <laughs> took up half the yard so um i mean all those little things now play into the work that i'm making as an adult so i feel like i never really have gotten away from my childhood and not that I would ever want to like I, I love these memories and I love talking about them and we always call them like the good old times because we were so close with that with that neighborhood and with those neighbors and then when we moved it seemed and I was 10 when we moved but it felt it was like I we were all new people then mm -hmm. like when we'd get together it'd be the same but you know we we would talk about even as kids like the good old times when we were neighbors and I was like 10 years old so I mean, they're formative years. So I feel like everyone's childhood affects them um, in different ways. But everyone also thinks they're, well, most people, I hope, think that their childhood is also magical. And so, yeah, I think that I've taken a lot of those elements, visual elements, colors, the way that things are. 
like intent they look intentionally childlike and playful and i bring i try and bring all of that into the work that i make now again because i somehow missed this um you grew up in in the midwest i believe is that correct yeah i did yeah so (laughs) wonderful midwestern upbringing um yes (laughs) so so in terms of like as you're getting older then you you know you move and and as you're getting older and you you know approach high school and stuff like that was it something then you where you were going to be like a graphic designer or just an artist or a writer or mathematician or (laughs) well i sucked at math (laughs) um and i was in um band and choir show choir i was and then all the art classes i did theater like my parents knew that I wanted to be an artist. And so they, they put me in things that they knew would develop that side of me. And I actually didn't really even realize that sports were a thing that I could do um, until like middle school mm-hmm. uh, when my sister started to become interested in like volleyball. So of course, naturally I tried out, but I was, so, I'm so awful at <laughs> anything athletic. And I just knew, I knew where my strong suits were. And I stuck with those because I, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, when we, I put all of my energy into that. So even when we moved um, out to a farm, so we lived in uh, Moline and then we moved out to a farm when I was 10 years old. And in that farmhouse, I mean, my dad did a whole bunch of reconstruction, trying to make it better for our family. Um, and then they also, in that house, let me do whatever I wanted in that room. So I actually had a studio in my room. Mm-hmm. I think I was probably like 11 or 12 when I set this little studio up, studio up in the corner. So I had like a clothesline hanging across the room where I'd put these clothespins and hang paintings from that. Um, and I had this this massive desk that I would paint on and draw on. I feel like spaces are really important to me. A creative work environment, living environment. They were always pushing me in that direction, but never they never really questioned it like Mm -hmm. it was just who I who I was and what I wanted to do and I really appreciate that they did that because um I've had students come up to me and be like well I I want to study art but my parents they don't want me to like they don't they don't see a future in this for me and that's always that's like really breaks my heart because number one you're talking to someone who has a future in this but and there's you know I can't I can't talk to those parents. I can't tell them how awesome their child is and how great of an artist they are and how wonderful their world will be with with art as the center. But um, so I'm glad I never had to run into an, a problem like that. I guess to kind of bring this to like a, a formal education kind of experience. And again, you already talked a little bit about that early uh summer course when you're five um <laughs> but how did how did this how did this transition then in, in the, into college I mean did you that you started off did you were you in the arts then or so I went to Monmouth College which is a, a really small liberal arts college in Monmouth Illinois I applied for a fine arts scholarship when I was going in to be a freshman I had taken um, some summer courses at the Figgy Art Museum that's in Davenport and had a, a mini scholarship during that summer before I went to college. And so I had created this body of work and I applied for the fine arts scholarship and I was awarded it. That was my focus. I was at a time an art major business minor. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of family businesses in my in my family. So I thought that maybe that would be something that I should have under my belt, like just kind of like a safety net. And my dad runs his own business. And so 
my sophomore year, I was looking at my class schedule and I realized that the second semester I wasn't going to be able to have any art classes. And I called him and I was sobbing and I was like, dad, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm so upset that I'm not going to have any art classes. I don't want you to be disappointed in me, but I really think I should drop this minor. And he said, do it like go right now. And so that, that just gave me this huge boost of confidence that he also like saw art in my future. It wasn't like, no, I really think you should stick with business because it's practical. He was just like, get rid of it. There's no need. And if you're feeling like this, yeah, it's, it's not worth the time and energy for you to feel upset. Like I, I felt like I had a really well-rounded education, but art was always at the center of it. And I always related everything back to that. Now, that being said, I was a terrible student. (laughs) I didn't really like focus and like I knew that I wanted to be an artist but it didn't really like hit me until the end of my sophomore beginning of junior year when I had a friend study abroad in Florence and I was like oh I really want to do that but I don't have I don't have the grades right now I don't have the dedication I felt like I was kind of just like floating through my schooling I have have two viewpoints like one was that really sucks. And I wish I had taken my education more seriously at the beginning. And two is that I needed to do that in order to see that if I don't focus, I'm not going to get where I want to to be. Mm -hmm. So I started to talk to my professors a little bit more and decided that I, that I was serious about studying abroad. And then everything just changed. I was, I was a different person. I studied in Florence and took drawing classes. I realized that during that time that I actually that I was pretty like a good drawer and I don't really draw anymore, but it was like, okay, now I know that I can do these things. And now what's next? Like, what else can I do? That's going to push me in the right direction. School was obviously so important, but, um, it took me a while to realize the importance of it. I would imagine that kind of impacted things quite a bit. And again, not to, not to belabor the point. I mean, I know, again, there's lots and lots of work that we could talk about. And that's something that's kind of funny, right? In terms of artists, <laughs> like there's probably so much work that we all make that nobody ever sees because we just like get rid of it. Thank or, God. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but what, what kind of stuff then did you kind of like leave that experience uh, making, you know, with this kind of like new kind of commitment where they're like yeah. artists that you were kind of drawn to and emulating in your work or were you kind of doing your own thing or? You know, I felt like I was just doing a lot of my own thing. I had like any other student, I was taking art history courses. I was taking contemporary art courses, things like that. But I felt like I had a really good direction after I came back from my study abroad program and my professors acknowledged that. We'd have one-on-one meetings a lot, um, discussing my paintings and they'd, they'd give me names of artists to look up, to look up. I don't think I, I really don't think I did. I think I was just, I needed to just keep doing what I was doing. Like I would just spend hours and upon hours in the studio. And some of the things that I started doing were, and that I still do now. So I think that there's definitely a strong correlation between my undergrad and grad school is, or even like post-grad is that I would just do raw canvas paintings on the wall. Like I never really like painting on stretch canvas. I don't like that. There's not a pressure point behind um, my brush or pencil or whatever I'm using to, to make the image. So I would just tack large pieces of canvas to the wall and start drawing, drawing and painting on that. Um, And I still do that. That's still very much a part of my practice. And I'm glad that they encouraged that instead of making me do 
stretch paintings. Well, and so obviously that's something that's, you know, been carried over into the to the present. Mm-hmm. What happened after that experience? I mean, after after I graduated with my BFA degree, somebody encouraged me to like do the Sugar Creek Art Fair mm-hmm. in Normal. It's weird. I think I had this idealized you know, like I'm going to sell all these house paintings. And at the time they were so like rudimentary. So it's just kind of, it's just kind of weird. Like that, that, you know, what you wind up getting into afterwards. So, so did you kind of, you know, immediately kind of think like, I got to get another degree or did you, I think it was my junior year still in this phase. And I was like, I think being a college professor would be like a great career choice for me. Um, now that I've like taken my education seriously and someone said, well, you know, you have to like go to grad school for that. And I was like, oh yeah, duh. So that's when I started like looking into grad school. Then I had this portfolio made and I, I knew I wanted to go to Bradley university. It was, I felt like they had a good program. I'd gone to one of their open houses, like when I was scoping out, like where I wanted to go. And I met Randy Carlson, who was the ceramic professor and he was just very warm and welcoming. And we had a great conversation about art and what, what I was doing during that time. And so I scheduled a meeting to meet with him and the chair. And we, so I brought my work and they were like, no, I don't think you're ready yet. And I was like, oh crap. Okay. They said, don't even, don't apply yet. Like just wait it out, give it a year. So I said, you know, that's fine. And I really appreciate that. It didn't, like, I'm surprised that it didn't discourage me. Like it made me want it more. And I'm really glad for that. So I took a year then after I graduated and did a post-baccalaureate fellowship at Monmouth College still. And I just focused on my studio all the time. I was always in there. I took then a graphic design class, but it was a, it was a visiting artist who was in charge of that course at the time. And he had just finished graduate school. And he's like, you know, this is like applying for grad school is a job itself. So you just need to like, don't worry about any of the assignments. Let's just have you, whenever you come to class, I'm just going to read over your CV. I'm going to read over your applications. I'm going to help, help you get this going. So he let me do, he let me do that. And that was like a huge gift to just let me focus on that. And then the other times I would be in my studio. So I did this post back for a year and then I applied to a number of schools. I got into three out of the five. Bradley was going to, they gave me a full tuition scholarship and a stipend to work in the gallery. And it was kind of a, it was a no brainer to me. I remember someone, one of my professors telling me that you should only go to grad school if they're going to pay you. So that's what I did. And it was a really great decision to go to Bradley and Peoria is wonderful. And I've, I feel like I've helped it grow mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm still living in Peoria. So I've invested, you know, my time as a student here, but then also in the community through a space that I run. So it was a good decision for me. I think that maybe at another school, I might've gotten lost in like bigger class sizes. Bradley is still very small. So, and I can appreciate that. And I love that about Bradley. And so in in terms of then, you know, the work that you made there, I mean, is and I guess, correct me too. I mean, cause we've mostly been talking about painting and, you know, painting on canvas and things like that. Is that where you, you know, started to explore installation? Yeah. Yeah. That's where I started to explore installation, but I was still, at least during my, my first semester, I just like all the work was just crap. And I'm so glad it's a three, three year program because <laughs> <laughs> I, 
And I'm okay saying that because it was just, they were just awful. And so out of the three years, I think I had two solid years of strong work. Um, but the end of my second um, semester, first year, I started to explore with unstretched canvas, but more color was involved. Um, and I worked under Heather Braumeyer. And so she really encouraged that. And I feel like they're very Sam Gilliam-esque. He was a big, I don't know, a big inspiration to such a lame word, but uh, in my work. And then it's kind of evolved because I, I made all these unstretched, billowing form, colorful canvas I would hang on the wall or like touch the floor. And so that was kind of my, a little bit of installation. And then last summer I went back to all those paintings and because I had hand sewn them together, I started ripping them apart. And that's where I got a whole new body of work from those paintings. So all the ones that I made previously, I think I have like five that exist still. Um, and the other ones I just tore apart and, and made a whole yeah new body of work. And I'm glad I did that too. So And again, so this would be what would be representative of the, the series uh, to be remembered, but like the oldest Correct. stuff? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's interesting because they have kind of these, you know, interesting, um, forms, you know, and it sounds like, again, to kind of get a little bit more perspective of the way that you're kind of like sewing these pieces together, you know, they have various layers. Some of them kind of look crumpled or, yeah. you know, like, like heaps of cloth with, um, yes. you know, very, <laughs> exactly. again, it's interesting. I mean, maybe talk a little bit about the way that you are kind of interested in, in terms of exploring color and, you know, maybe just some of the thought process. Cause, you know, I'm curious when the, you know, tying it into, you know, memory and childhood experiences started to come into the work. Yeah. So the pieces initially, the ones that were from grad school. So when I started tearing those apart and painting on them again, I had to consider all the, the marks and the colors that I had made four years ago so that they seemed, you know, so the work was consistent and it, it didn't all of a sudden just have this extra layer that was just thrown on top of it and kind of wasn't, wasn't connecting to the, the initial surface. So I had to consider that, but I'm a child of the nineties. And because my work is very much about childhood, Lisa Frank was like huge. So I, I would definitely say that her color palette, not really her designs, but her, her colors were an influence of me, influenced my work, but not like an incredibly strong influence, but definitely something that I was always thinking about because I was, you know, going back and reliving a lot of these memories and what was influencing me when I was eight or nine or 10. And I, I don't know any 10 year old, nine year old girl during that time period who didn't have a Lisa, Lisa Frank, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So that was really important as far as like, and the flowers that you see, these really childlike drawn flowers, but then also like the tombstones became really important. I grew up across the street from a, from a cemetery, a really huge, huge cemetery that I still visit every summer. Um, it's kind of this tradition now. So I go back to that neighborhood. I look at my house and my friend's house and then take a walk in the cemetery with my sister. So I started looking at the tombstones um, and using those as kind of like this generic form of a tombstone, but in some cases it'd be more specific to the way that they were um, aligned or the name that was on it or, you know, something like a design that was on it, something like that. So that became really important. And then I opened that up to visiting 
just like any cemetery that I ever drove by, I would stop and, and go in and take pictures, documentation for these paintings, but also for installations. I don't know. There's a lot of connections between the two of them, even though they look like these paintings are really colorful and my installations are a little bit more simple. The concept, the ideas behind it are very similar. Actually, I think they're one and the same. I wouldn't say they're even similar. I say they're the same. So, so in terms of thinking about like the process of these, it sounds like something that you kind of reacted to by seeing it. Is is that always mm-hmm. like the, the the case in terms of like maybe what you did in terms of exploring, you know, painting installation? I mean, is it something that sometimes is brought about by you know that experience, and then sometimes it's like, oh, I want to make something that's about this specific time. You mean by like the experience of, of going to a cemetery? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like definitely the experience the visual experience of going to a cemetery plays into the visual elements of my paintings, whereas the emotional or almost like, and even like physical experience of going into a cemetery plays into the, the installations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just curious because like, you know, like I think we discussed at your opening, a lot of times people will, you know, walk into a space and then kind of respond to it. But, you know, like how much of that is planned, how much of that is based off of like, you know, that experience that you were just describing. And then, you know, are there times where you're like, you know, you go into a space and you've had all these ideas that you've been working out in a sketchbook and you've been, you know, thinking of these specific memories that you're like, how do I, you know, find this place yeah. to put them and then you get a show and then it's like oh this is that space i'm responding to yeah. this or that you know well for so for the heartbreaker in the center when you walk in there's this tombstone and i had bought that at an estate sale last summer 2017 and i've been waiting for a, a space to come up that i felt like it would fit like it would resonate with the the space itself. So when I found out that I was going to have a show at Heartbreaker and I knew what the floors looked like. Um, so they're the cement floors and they've got cracks and the, the tombstone, I, I want to say it's limestone, but it kind of looks like cement and it's, it's very long and it has a crack down the, it's broken kind of like the floor. So it, it fit perfectly in that space. I've been like writing proposals for other places, including that, but it, like now that I've seen that in that space, it's going to be hard to see it somewhere else. And I hope that I can find another place for it, but it, it just, it just like all came together. Mm -hmm. It just worked out so great. But yeah, I mean, I have ideas for things, but this, like the space has to be right. I don't, I like, I don't want to force something to happen if it's not the right time Mm -hmm. or the right place. So, um, I know like a year isn't long to have something, but it had been that tombstone lease had been just like in my house in various rooms. And I've been just like waiting and waiting um, for it to come out and be like a part of an installation. So just just worked out this way. Well, and again, I I feel hopefully I'm not going to (laughs) be leading us down three different roads at the same time. (laughs) You know, again, I'm just so curious how, you know, like, like where all these things kind of tie in and and fit together. And again, to kind of maybe be more specific, like we were talking about earlier, you know, there's, there's tons of different um, installation pieces, uh, some collaborations. 
And so maybe, yeah. you know, to kind of think about maybe something in specific and something that I was talking to you about a little bit were the installations um, on your website uh, under, under girlhood. Yeah. And again, they kind of have, you know, a number of found objects, it looks like, in addition to these, you know, things that you're kind of introducing, like these pops of color. Yeah. But maybe like, I guess by point of comparison, I would think that still deals obviously with childhood, but then, you know, maybe not as, um, I don't know, just obviously like a slightly different subject than cemetery. You know what I mean? So the way I look at my work is that it, it has this broad umbrella of childhood, but there are so many different facets under that. So um, there's childhood and just a sense of like myself, like me reflecting on my child self. Um, and then there's me and my family. Um, so when I, I've got like, like the idea of like a blue house or just houses in general, you know, the space where we all live together. And then there's also the part of me and my, my friend who passed away. And that's really like the core of it, where all this came from, why I make any of this work is because of him. So the threat is me. So when I get to like girlhood, these little, yeah, like pops of color, very childlike ways of putting things together, um, craft materials, that, that's definitely like, like the Lisa Frank aspect of it. And this is looking at these now, it's like, this is what my room looked like as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just realized that. But, but I would imagine when you're you know, presenting these works, there's going to be different spaces or different incarnations of things. So, I mean, are there instances then where you've got like a space that, you know, you get and then it leads you to like a different idea in terms of like you start fleshing out like what it reminds you of and then you're like, oh, I could do this. So across the alley, like also on my website, across the alley was a show, The Neon Heater, and it has it has two rooms. So the when you walk in, like I knew that I wanted those to be like found objects assemblages, sculptures, sort of things. And then the other room, it's got all white walls, all white floor, like this wonderful hardwood floor. I didn't know how that was, how it was going to look or how it was going to play out, but I wanted it to feel like a bedroom of sorts, like mm-hmm. a, like a childhood room. Um, so there's this huge tent, but that tent also existed in my MFA exhibition. It was a few years ago. So that's like, it definitely had a, a new life here it felt different here. It was like closer to the ceiling. I always wanted one of those canopy beds as a kid. My parents never got me one. I probably made one of my own that looked really crappy. So it kind of probably looked like this. Right. But that tent um, is made from sheets and curtains. Like that's what kids make tents from. So then it's got this pink sand and glitter that's like all encrusted over it. And then the center has this pillow and the dirt on the pillow was from the neighborhood, the cemetery, and then uh, has all these notes that I recreated that my friend had given me as a kid. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it kind of like burying him a little bit, bur- burying that idea of childhood. I didn't know what that space was going to look like until I got there. And it turned out better than I thought than I imagined it to be. To speak specifically about, you know, some of those other pieces, um, especially the ones that I'm assuming are more of like the bedroom interior pieces then, Mm -hmm. are those like sculptures that you have, 
you know, like already kind of made or are they like, for some reason I'm imagining like a giant garage with yeah. just random stuff of, you know, things that you've kind of collected over the years, things that yeah. you've drawn to. So. Well, that's what my attic's like. Okay. It just has all this random stuff in it. Yeah. Um, no, the chairs, I think I brought one chair and then, so there's like a chair sculpture in the corner and the other ones were there. So I, I was just taking objects that I found in this, like in the studio or outside of the studio gallery um, and using that. And then um, the like rope-like tie-dye rope thing that's hanging out of the wall like it's it's like an escape route like what you would t like tie your bed sheets together if you're trying to run away um so that's that's actually made from the t-shirts that we wore to my friend's funeral um and they're wrapped together with this pink um ribbon and hung from a hook and then it would it was draping out of the window so that was a really important step like i had hung those t-shirts they're all tie-dye t-shirts in a show previously, but when I tied them all together, it felt like a more like uniform. It felt more complete that that all these t-shirts were together instead of separate. So that was a really that was a really important moment that I had, like a realization that I had that this is how those shirts need to be put together. But there were only the three three pieces in that. That was an important show for me. That was like a year after he passed away. And that it just that meant a lot to me to be able to, you know, know that I came this year, that I've grown this year, that I've realized a lot of things um, during that year, as an artist, and also as an individual and a friend to him. So well, and again, it's it's interesting, because like, there's also like, I guess, like, a I don't know, a lens that this might be looked at because like there, it's kind of childhood in or childlike rather in terms of like the way maybe somebody might look at it. But then, yeah. you know, the, the subject matter, you know, is, is coming from a place that ex, that's exploring, you know, our own mortality. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like, cause I grew up across from the cemetery that I was confronted with my own mortality as like a, like a really, like a child, like that's just, that's where we played like hide and go seek and would go on walks and stuff. So it was always, it was just always a part of my life to question it, to wonder about it. As someone that lived above a, a funeral home for oh, really? a little bit over, a, I think it was like two years. Um, you know, you, you become more aware, like, you know, yeah. when there's, when some, you know, when somebody's passed, you know, like it's a giant ordeal for all these people that you don't know. And, you know, people that are kind of dealing with this grief. So, um, it's interesting to think about that as like a, again, like a source, but then also like a way of working through it and, mm -hmm. you know, making peace with everything. And I guess before I start <laughs> going down a path of <laughs> no turn, um, I'm, I'm curious just to kind of maybe jump, jump a little bit back to, to the paintings a little bit. I don't know. How does that relationship work then in terms of like what you have, you know, going on? Cause I would imagine sometimes you might have a big, you know, installation that you're working through and, and planning on, are you working on uh, paintings at the same time that you're doing that? Or is that something that you have to kind of be able to kind of turn on, I guess, if that makes sense uh, to refocus? Yeah. I feel like I'm always painting. I wouldn't say that I'm like actively seeking to show those paintings. Mm -hmm. Like they're more, I mean, I have them on my website, but they're like, they're, they're more for me, at least in this moment in my, in my life, like that I'm not seeking out these exhibitions, just solely focused on paintings. I would happily show them, 
but um, I don't think that that's my, that's not the goal of them right now. Mm-hmm. I think they're, it's kind of like how, you know, we're told to keep sketchbooks. Like I feel like they're, they're sketchbooks to me. Like they're my way to play with paint, but also to play with like different colors and maybe those colors will work their way into my installations. But yeah, I definitely see them. The ideas are similar, but the, the way that I'm looking at them or using them, the way, why I'm making them is different. To think about it with the, you know, in relationship, they have interesting shapes Mm-hmm. And I could relate them a little bit to the shaped canvas paintings, you know, in, in terms of some of the shapes that they might kind of explore. They're kind of like yeah. these organic kind of curve repeating kind of forms mm-hmm. um, where it's interesting to think about the installations because, you know, there's there's pieces where it's, you know, all about that material or like in, mm-hmm. in, in point case for your for your current exhibition. You know, I believe those those flowers are all recycled from a, a previous piece. So maybe that would be interesting to talk a little bit about too. That relationship of reusing, you know, materials that are going to change. So my friend um, passed from an overdose, and when I had those roses, I was I was thinking a lot about the op- the opioid epidemic that's going on right now. And during that time, the statistic was there were 90 deaths, 90 opioid related deaths per day in the United States. So I had 90 roses, yellow roses and yellow roses you give to friends um, to show that you care for them, that you love them, um, not in a romantic way, but just you know, they mean a lot to you. So I had the 90 yellow roses, all long stem roses. They were lined up against uh, a wall. And in the center was a, a dirt mound, like, like a a burial mound um, that you would find in a cemetery after someone was recently put into the earth. And along the perimeter were the yellow roses. And I was inviting people at the show to then take a rose and put it, place it on top of the dirt as a way to like remember someone who they had lost, but lost or loss in a way of like a very um, abstract way. So either through death or through just loss of time, not connecting anymore. It could also be a loss of like a place or a memory or um, nostalgic for something. So um, that's where, that's how that originated. And then I kept all of those roses um, and reuse them. So they, of course, they all dried out and they dried out in these weird, you know, different ways. Some of them had been like a bug had got inside and eaten a hole in the rose or decay of some sort. So when I reused them just this past summer at, uh, in a show called Welcome Back, they were on, I cut them down. So I got rid of the long stem and the, the, the leaves and just had the single rose at the top, kind of like what you would put on a corsage or something. And so then I built this funeral wreath, just like the the twig kind that you, the like generic twig kind. And then the roses were set up on shell, like two white shelves in the gallery. And then I invited viewers to then take um, one of these dried yellow roses and place it into the wreath so that we were building this funeral wreath together. The difference during this time was that the number of opioid related deaths had increased to like 115. So I no longer the number 90, which I thought was such a large number at the time got, I mean, it was even, you know, it was even higher. So I, and I didn't want to keep like bringing that into 
the show because it felt like it served its purpose during the first time that I showed these roses. So now it was more of this generic idea of how are we coming together to grieve in this space, all these number of reasons why we're grieving, because I feel like people are constantly grieving one thing or another, one person or a, a time or a place or whatever. So it's supposed to be like, these spaces are supposed to be kind of quiet and you're supposed to feel like while, while you're doing this, that it is kind of like not sacred's not the right word, but I don't have another word at the moment, but that's kind of the, the atmosphere that I'm trying to create is very quiet and peaceful and contemplative. Um, and so these roses then were used again in the heartbreaker show, but this time they were the tombstone on the ground that I talked about earlier was, was put together close enough that it would be holding up these cut roses, yellow roses inside. Um, and so it was not something that people were interacting with during this exhibition. Maybe again, it'll be something that they interact with, but I wanted, they've like had this lifespan over this year and a half of changing in different, in different situations, people being able to touch them and people not being able to touch them. So this was, this was a new, uh, at the heartbreaker was kind of a new idea of not being able to grab them because mm -hmm. it's the roses are such a gift to give, you know, we're, we're giving them to a friend or a loved one and now we can't touch them. So that was kind of a new idea that I was exploring. Well, it's interesting too, to hear you describe it. Cause you know, again, I mean, one of the things that's can be somehow missed, you know, is just having that kind of experience and that background and that knowledge. I mean, again, I mean, it, it, is something that kind of keeps breathing more and more life into the work. But one of the things that's mm -hmm. interesting to me is that I remember saying to you, I think at the opening, like, I feel like I'm at a viewing, you know, there's a yeah, period of time where that. Yeah. like everybody's kind of like in a semicircle, just kind of, you know, looking and it kind of has that same kind of feeling like when you're, when you're at one of those, because it's a very, you know, it's a very reflective place to be. Yeah. But I also think it's really interesting though, too, to kind of jump back to the, the pieces that you're just talking about that, you know, that interaction, um, you know, involved with the, the people that are going to be come and see the work. I mean, I would imagine offers, you know, conversations for people to, to talk about their own experiences. And yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing the way people open up when they're given the opportunity to do so. Like I had a guy come and tell me about his son that had passed away. And it was like, you, I, you just met me and you're telling me this and like, you're, you have tears in your eyes just because you're able to give this rose to your son who had passed away like five years ago. And that that's so important. And it's so like, it breaks my heart, but it makes me happy at the same time that I'm able to offer someone that experience just for a moment to reflect on something that they're probably thinking about every day, but to have a, a place and an open, safe environment that they can do so is I think what me, makes the work, it's this extra layer. Like it's not something that you can see happening. I did this project called Grieving Stories, Grieving Stories, um, where I invited people on my website to send me like something or someone that they were grieving. And I, I got the longest like, like chapters of someone's life about what they were grieving and how it happened and like why and how they're dealing with it. And, and I would like to make it a book eventually. Um, and then I'd send them a, a painting to uh, thank them. Interesting. That's a pretty good deal. It's not on my website anymore because I, it I got like a handful, but it seemed like I was pulling teeth a little bit because it is such a personal thing 
but it was fascinating to read, you know, like this woman lost her mother or um, she knew her dad was going to pass away soon or like grieving the person who she thought she was going to be at the age of 25. It's interesting to think about even just like how that narrative aspect can also kind of be an extension of that practice then too, you know, or it can take those physical forms or, you know, where you talk about that kind of thing that's unnamed and then, you know, it becomes oral and then something that's in a visual, you know what I mean? Something that's in a book or so yeah. it's a very interesting idea. So you were talking, you know, way earlier about, you know, like a, essentially in terms of just being encouraged to, to pursue art. And sometimes people have a hard time thinking about how, what the value of that is, you know, in, in terms of a society that mostly focuses on things. And, you know, again, when you have those experiences where you lose someone, you realize how unimportant, you know, things really are. It's about these experiences. But it just reminds me again, you know, like that it is important to have art, you know, within a society, these people that are trying to connect these experiences to be able to talk about them, you know, mm -hmm. like there's all of these things that we kind of have to face and whether it be stand up comedy or, you know, contemporary art, I mean, there are ways of working through these difficult things to have conversations. And that seems like something that's so difficult to kind of have now because it's so, especially like in politics is so politicized that people don't want to do that. So it's interesting to kind of, you know, present these experiences to people to kind of let them, you know, react, I guess, you know? Yeah. Well, and that, that, and also like death is the most universal thing that, that is in our humankind. Like, I mean, just in the world, that's the most universal thing. So I feel like a lot of people are worried or scared to talk about death. And I was actually listening to a Ted talk recently about that. Like people don't, I think one of their things was like, people don't want to come off as morbid, but we have to accept that this is going to happen. It's just, it's inevitable. Not that this is like, I don't want people to come into these and feel like, oh yeah, I'm going to like, and realize like, yeah, I'm going to die someday. But that, that's a like a very t small aspect of it, but it is like, it does need to be there because like I said, it is very universal and the most universal thing. Well, again, I, I think that's a nice way to kind of cap you know, talking about your work and, you know, I hope people go and, you know, make, make a visit to Heartbreaker while the show is still up. Again, I'm curious what the, you know, the relationship of being a curator has kind of done in terms of, you know, expanding your, I don't know, the way that you look at art and the way that you look at, you know, interacting with people as well, because you've been doing that for a while. Yeah. So I run a space in my garage, an alternative exhibition space called Project 1612. And we've been, we just celebrated our three uh, year using the word curator for that is sometimes tricky because I'm not I'm curating the way the shows flow like monthly mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say that I'm curating the work that's in the exhibitions because I want it to be a place that artists can experiment with anything that they they want to so sometimes I don't even know what they're going to do previously like I have an idea from their proposal or their their website, but I like to leave it open-ended because it is, it should be experimental and I don't want to direct an artist in a certain way. Um, so I like, you know, it's, there's a lot of freedom in this space and it's also kind of like a short-term residency, like a micro residency is what one of our artists called it. And I really loved that just because it's only like four or five days that they stay with us. And we do have a lot of conversations about art. So that's where I feel like it's definitely an extension of my studio practice. And I run this space with Alexander Martin 
who's another um, artist in the area. And so we both look at this as an extension of our studio practice because we're able to continue these wonderful art conversations about that artist's work. But then we're, you know, we, because it's a conversation that we're bringing in our own ideas. So that's, it's been really wonderful to talk with different artists about their viewpoints on the space or what they're doing or what they plan to do um, after coming to 1612, like what kind of ideas have come from this experience. And then I'm also the curator. I just got this new position. I'm like over the moon about it, but um, the curator at Illinois Central College. So I just started in May and I've been working with different artists that I wanted, that I've wanted to work with for years now. And so that's finally like, this is another space that I'm able to do that, uh, to invite someone personally to show in the space and then build this connection and hopefully help build their career, uh, the same way. So the same way that I'm doing at 1612, like I've been finding more contemporary artists to show at, uh, ICC and that's just been really exciting. And I've, you know, the faculty and the the deans are very encouraging of the artists that I've been bringing in. So, I mean, both are, both are filling my cup in different ways. They're, they're helping me grow as an artist and to talk about art and to be around different, all different kinds of art. But it's, I mean, both have been really wonderful experiences so far. 1612 has changed my life forever. It's, it's great. And then the community that comes out of that too, like, our space is open to the public. So we're getting, sometimes we'll get people just walking in the neighborhood that come down and want to talk about what's going on or are completely like turned off. Like, why is there a guy running down our driveway on a hobby horse? That was this past (laughs) exhibition in tidy whities. Like, why is this happening? (laughs) So if anything, like people are asking questions and, and becoming a little bit curious about, the world around them. So that's just, that's the purpose. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for asking. <laughs> oh no, absolutely. Absolutely. So I was going to ask though too. So in, in terms of then, I guess what you have coming up, I mean, again, it's, it seems like you're always busy and got something going on, but um, are there things that you still have in the works um, exhibition wise for the, for this coming your coming year for the remainder of the year? Are you, you still have shows coming up? I don't have any shows in the near future. I should say, well, I just started this job at ICC and I did just have a baby. Mm-hmm. So I'm, and I've had like a, a few shows over the summer, but I have proposals started and I don't have an, like another big exhibition till 2019. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. Like I want to really grow this program at ICC. And, you know, that means that I, I want to invest my time in that at the moment. And then of course, working on proposals all the time. So yeah, we'll see. I hope to get some more things lined up for 2018. That would be wonderful. But then also like 1612, we have a call out right now. So I'm kind of focusing on that and doing some art writing for 60 inches from center up in Chicago. So it's not that, you know, like, I feel like shows are one aspect of my practice. Like, like doing all of these things is my practice. Right. So if that, yeah, like, and I'm good makes me happy all these things that have to everybody has to juggle at this point you yeah know? nobody's just yeah. one thing i guess exactly um well so where should people go and, and find out about all your all your goings on i guess so my website is jessicabinghamart.com 
Um, so that's where you can find my stuff. I also have an Instagram account, Jessica Bingham Art, that I post sometimes on there. And then our website for Project 1612, if you're curious about that, is project1612numbers.com. Uh, well, again, I, I hope everybody goes and, and checks out all these uh, spaces and things that you have going on. And again, just thank you so much for you know, applying to this competition so that we could oh, yeah. uh, officially meet. And, you know, like, again, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because, like, again, one of the reasons that I like doing this is because I get to meet new people that uh, I wouldn't have been familiar with either. So it kind of sense of community is always, always getting bigger. Um, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks once again to Jessica for joining me. Please be sure and check out her solo exhibition that's up right now at Heartbreaker. There will be special gallery hours with Jessica on October 6th from 11 to 2, so be sure to check that out. You can, of course, visit jessicabinghamart.com to find out more about her artwork as well as her curatorial practice, so go and do that right now. Special thanks goes out to Bill Conger for being our 2017 Pro Competition Juror. He selected three artists to be featured on Studio Break, including Jessica, who was awarded this solo exhibition. We will be doing another competition this year for 2018. Our juror, Brian Frank, will be selecting three artists, as well as one for a solo exhibition at Rocka Gallery in Mankato, Minnesota. Details to come, so keep your eyes peeled. As always, if you liked what you heard today and you like Studio Break as a studio companion, please visit studiobreak.com. Check out some of the artists that have been featured. Of course, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and these interviews, which you can listen to right there on studiobreak.com, or you can hit that iTunes link and subscribe to the podcast. Now, of course, karma comes back to you, so we would love it if you would help spread the word about Studio Break and share our interviews and social media, so please be sure to do that. Of course, you can find us in a number of formats, including our Facebook page, so please be sure and like that. You can also follow us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break, so say hello there. As always, I want to thank Skylar Mail, who provides music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my work, please visit DavidLinaway.com. And, of course, if you must, you can track me down on Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram at DavidLinaway. Just a quick shout-out to Ann Coulter, who I met at Jessica's opening at Heartbreaker. Once again, great talking with you, and I'm very happy that you enjoy this podcast. And, of course, I thank everyone that enjoyed today's episode. Hope that you listen to more. And, of course, we'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>